Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. According to scripture, it's not enough to know the right thing. You actually have to do it. Throughout the history of the church, there's been a tension between the life of the mind and the life of action, between people focused on knowing the truth deeply and people focused on practicing it. In this episode, Cameron and I, who both lean more toward the contemplative life, you won't be surprised to learn, struggle with the limits of knowledge. We'll talk about how knowledge can become an obstacle to faith and how God turns walls like this into entry points. Here's Cameron. I've been thinking lately about the limitations of knowledge. Hmm. Okay. Um, Specifically, I've been thinking about the limitations of knowledge as it pertains to my walk with Christ. And just want to air a phenomenon that I've experienced and see what you think of it. Essentially, what I've found is that when I'm not living out my faith very vigorously, I start to waver. I start to have doubts, questions. I don't feel as great about it. Whereas on the other hand, when I'm living things out, when I'm doing the stuff that I know I'm commanded to do, whether it's something simple like prayer or something more complex, like serving others in a specific way, those doubts tend to sort of drift away and my faith seems to strengthen either in the event or after the event. And I guess it's got me thinking about the limitations of knowledge, like I said, for sustaining the life of faith. And the conclusion that I, it's, I mean, it's not really my conclusion or a new conclusion by any means, but it's the simple thing that James said, that faith without works is dead. And I, I guess what I've been experiencing is that faith with works feels more like faith. Hmm. I'm curious if you've experienced that before. And I actually want to say one more thing, which is something you've repeated to us at Grace frequently, which is that Christianity is not a philosophy, but something that you must live out. And essentially I'm just saying, hey, I tried it out and I think you're right. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that because that's what was in my head, <laughs> yeah. you know, was, was to go there that uh, Christianity is not a belief system. Yeah. It's not a philosophy. It is a faith that you practice. And there's no way to be sort of an intellectual Christian because it's not just an intellectual commitment. Like it's, it's something more than that, deeper than that. It's an interesting question though, that you raise because I don't think you're alone in being a person who has a lot of knowledge, right? You've got a a seminary degree and yet can still feel those, those, variations of confidence mm-hmm. you know you find yourself you know in, in in one moment feeling like yes this this knowledge i have it's solid it's real and in another moment wondering like what's going on is this just a house of cards absolutely i think we we all struggle with that because we all have our very human limitations but i think for intellectual people uh, for people who have pursued a lot of knowledge, there are some particular challenges right. that come along with that. And, and they're challenges that we're not always 
conscious of or, or mindful of. And so it, it, it can be beneficial to us to think about that. Now, one way we could approach it is, is like this. Like, um, you have the equivalent of first world problems, right? You're too much in your head. You're thinking about this stuff too much. And because of that, you are experiencing all of these sort of fine-grained doubts, uncertainties, and you think that the way to shore those up is, is to gain more knowledge. And then you discover that if you could just roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty and actually do something in the world, that, that all that stuff goes away in the same way that, you know, jet-setting, first-world people who are overly cerebral and concerned about, you know, all this stuff that, that most humans for all of human history haven't had the luxury to think about, let, let alone agonize over. Um, but if you would just, you know, have your electricity go out and have to fend for yourself for a couple of days, you right. would get in touch with what it really is to be human. <laughs> you know, if you just went outside your door and helped your neighbor do something, you know, go build a fence together or, or do some kind of a project, suddenly it, you wouldn't be focused on yourself anymore, right? So on a really practical level, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, and I think especially for those of us who, you know, if we had to choose between working with our hands or reading a book, we'd choose the book. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when life forces us to make that other choice, it's shockingly rewarding, and, and you start to ask yourself, if, have I missed something? Like may, maybe it was always as simple as this. Maybe I just needed to, to do what James says, right? Maybe I just needed to uh, love God and love my neighbor the way Jesus said. And, and, and it'll all start making sense. Uh, to which I say, exactly, yes, it will. But I also think that the knowledge is valuable. Right. And so yeah. it's, it's not an either or. Yeah. I mean, this is an ancient debate in philosophy, you know, not to diss all philosophy, but we're talking about the contemplative life versus the active life. Exactly. And this goes all the way back to Plato and beyond. And it's sort of been this back and forth for a long time. And we like to have our cake and eat it too on this podcast. So I guess we do. We're going to say we need both of these things. But my starting point with the conversation was that I seem to reach these places and I know I'm not alone where maybe I'm, I'm leaning more into the, the contemplative and I just think that more knowledge should amount to more confidence, more stability, more peace, whatever it is. And sometimes that's true. I don't want to downplay that, but sometimes it's not. However, when you turn your gaze to the active life, it has to be informed by the stuff that you've been learning. Exactly, exactly. Uh, long ago, in an earlier life, I was forced to go to a training program in something called call reluctance. And this is like salesmanship stuff. So yeah. the idea is nobody likes to sell. And so a salesman will, will oftentimes make his pitch, but to the wrong person. You know, so you don't, you don't pitch the boss, you pitch the secretary. You know, some non-decision maker because it feels easier and so you have to 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 be taught sort of who to to speak to who can make the decision how to overcome 
that reluctance. Well, as you can imagine, I was really bored uh, <laughs> during this this training. But one of the things that I thought was fascinating, they, they had a chart and, and it was designed to show like that the solutions needed to fit the problems. And that if they didn't, they made the problem worse. And so one of the examples they gave was if the sales force needs more training, the answer isn't more motivation. And that a light bulb came on for me. I was because I'd been in a lot of situations where that was exactly what would happen, right? People didn't know what to do. And so the way to equip them was to have someone try to inspire them, right? To give them some sort of a pep talk. But at the end of the pep talk, they still didn't know what to do. And so it actually depressed them. It made their, their morale go down because they felt less equipped than they had before. So all of that, just to say that I think this is one of those deals where um, we have to distinguish what kind of problem it is before we'll understand the kind of solution it needs. For contemplative people, every problem presents as a knowledge problem, right? We automatically assume that the way to get out of our situation is to think our way out or to learn our way out. You know, I either need to like reflect on this more or I need to get the right books and, and sort of get some knowledge about this and then that will help me overcome. But not all problems are knowledge problems, and certainly in scripture, we see a lot of times that the problems aren't about knowledge, they're, they're about the heart. And oftentimes, people are called out because they have a knowledge that they do not act on. Like they know what's right, but they don't do what's right. And that's hypocrisy, right? It's sin. And I think that is the reality that, that contemplative people really have to confront, that our natural aptitude is not always the thing that's going to get us out of our situation. Oftentimes, it, it, it becomes a barrier. Like, it misleads us into, into misdiagnosing what's really wrong. So, if these contemplative people know the answers, presumably, hypothetically speaking, you know, somebody knows what they, they kind of know the answer to their problem. They sort of know what they should even do, what prevents them from doing it? That is a great question. <laughs> so I, you know, in a pastoral setting yeah. in um, doing pastoral counseling, one of the things that has been really eye opening to me is to realize at least within the church, how typical it is for people already to know the solutions to their problems so that when you are talking to them and trying to apply a biblical framework to their situation, they already know. And it's interesting because sometimes that already knowing is, is humble. Like, like, you know, they're like, yes, yes, you're right. I, I realize that. Right. Like, I, I know, like I know this and I'm not doing it. That like, it, it helps them see what the problem is. But actually a lot of times that's not what it is. A lot of times it's almost defensive you know, that, that if I say, look, Cameron, here, your problem is this, you're like, look, I already know all of that, but I need something else, mm -hmm. right? Because I already know what you're saying and that hasn't fixed my problem. I need some other kind of information, some other kind of knowledge, some other advice, because everything you're telling me, I already know. I mean, it's in the Bible and I know the Bible. So 
there you go. And what I found is knowledge like that can actually become a barrier to obedience because you are essentially, uh, it's like you're inoculated against the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you already could preach the sermon. You could already apply the scripture to your life better than I can. And so what could I possibly do? What advice could I possibly give you? Because you already know. But again, in those situations, it's, it's, it's not lack of knowledge that's the issue. It's, it's a heart condition, right? And so you ask, why don't they do what they know is right? Well, I think a lot of times, like, we know, but we don't know. Um, have you ever had this before where, like, you learn things in school, and you take them for granted, and you can even teach them, but then later in life something happens, and, and like, that phrase or idea comes to you, and you're like, oh, now I get it. That has happened to me so many times where I have, you know, internalized some words, a, a concept. I've, I've written about it. I've taught it to other people. And then something happens and suddenly it comes to life. And, and now I know what it means. And it feels like a discovery. Yeah. I think a lot of times that, that's what we need. Like we have the knowledge, but we don't have the knowledge, right? That, that experiential like where it really becomes true. And that happens through heart change, yeah. you know, and, and the hard part about that is heart change isn't something you do to yourself. You know, that's, that's Holy spirit work. That's faithfulness and sanctification, which is why if we do what we're called to do, if we pay attention to the ordinary means of grace over time, we find ourselves making progress in those areas even if that's not really what we were even working on. It's like everything gets better to a degree in God's will and timing as we apply ourselves to these things, these actions. That's the doing. Yeah. And so to me, that's, that's why it's so important to emphasize that Christianity is more than knowledge. And there are plenty of people who possess a lot of knowledge about Christianity and about the contents of the Bible. But if you're not practicing those things, if you're not practicing the Christian faith, you're not advancing. You're not being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. You have, like you say, faith without works, and that's dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the way it's often framed, though, is that the, the works that one does are an expression of the faith that they already have. And I think that that there's plenty of biblical evidence for that being the case. But my experience has also been that the obedience works, obedience, trust, whatever word you want to use actually becomes a channel to experience faith or a channel for the Holy spirit to, you know, give grace to me so that it's, as I say, trust, I, you know, I see this command in scripture or a promise and I trust it even if I don't, you know, totally feel it or whatever. And I obey God's word in that obedience. My faith is strengthened and grows. And that to me, I don't know. I guess I needed that, you know, I, I needed, I needed that experience of, Oh, like this is, 
This is something that is realized in the doing of it. Yeah. You'll sometimes hear actors describe the way that putting on the costume. Oh, yeah. Handling the props, sitting on the set, helps them put on the character. Like become the person that they're supposed to be. And I think there's something like that in discipleship, right? I just got to say, I heard (laughs) a story of, I think it was Viggo Mortensen, but really the whole Lord of the Rings cast. Uh They used to like never take off their costumes and would go out in public, like dressed as Aragorn. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, (laughs) but I I heard a story that they were like at McDonald's once, all of them dressed up (laughs) ordering food (laughs) because they were trying to get into the, the, the character. Right. And I think, you know, that's the thing. Like if you, if you, put on your Christian outfit and you went out into the world, you know, you'd be in character, yeah. right? And you, you'd really feel it. There's a, there's an interesting phenomenon. I think, again, this is something that when we study theology, we have to remember that uh, in the classroom, it's important to be very precise, right? In the way that we think about things. And certainly when we think about uh, soteriology, you know, we think about the the ordo salutis, you know, how God does things. We will distinguish between the different parts, you know, between justification and sanctification. We'll distinguish, you know, and, and try to be really careful about like where obedience falls mm-hmm. on that spectrum. And all of that is important in the classroom. It's important intellectually. But experientially, it, it's a little bit more fluid than that. You know, it's harder to distinguish. We could, in the classroom, ask ourselves, well, what is love? And we could divide it up into different parts and think about, you know, their sequence and stuff like that. But but in the experience of love, you know, you're proposing to your wife or something, you know, it's like, um, if you took that approach, it would kill it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that's that's the the dilemma of too much knowledge, right? That That... You can think about things so much that you become a little bit, you know, over-focused on, on those distinctions and you, you miss the sort of organic whole yeah. of it all, the way in which it all goes together. So, so yeah, I think there's, there's um, a sense in which the, clearly the, as we participate in these ordinary means of grace, we have to bring faith to them. Right. We, we bring that faith and that faith helps us to access, to receive the graces promised. At the same time, the receiving is strengthening the faith. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all sort of happening in this organic way yeah. that, that, yes, we can make distinctions about. But, but in the experience of it, I think the most important thing is, is that, that constant giving and receiving, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the action of it and so it is important i think for especially those of us who have a love a hunger for knowledge and and who desire to to know to press ourselves to practice what we know and not just to acquire knowledge for its own sake and i think that's you know me preaching to myself um, I mentioned already the the dilemmas of counseling and that sort of thing. I don't think I'm a very good counselor. I always f- feel that um, you want to give extra prayer to anyone who's relying on my advice and counsel. <laughs> but the reality is 
all of us are surrounded by by huge problems and mysteries and difficulties and and everyone you know everyone you're in community with is similarly struggling and needs encouragement and support but for us to be able to encourage each other we have to be able to sort of break through that that um like deceptive hard outer shell of i already know this stuff so that we can actually like hear and learn what the knowledge we have actually means. You know, we, we are like kids who have memorized a lot of vocabulary words and even know the definitions, but have no idea what any of it really means until we live it. And so as we live it together, in a sense, we're helping each other come to, to kind of understand what this knowledge we have actually is for. I think this is why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That biblical knowing really does encompass the full person. And um, true knowledge, if it be true knowledge, is going to is going to consume your actions as well as your mind. Exactly, exactly. You might just think of it as as like what does it mean to be human? Like like how do humans know things? Uh, God could have made us floating brains, mm-hmm. and and He didn't. Right? We are embodied. We are are sensory. You know, we we do things in the world, and all of that is sort of part of the way that we experience knowledge. And so, again, it all goes together. And it's just that for those of us who find ourselves more on that contemplative end of the spectrum we may have to push ourselves or even be dragged <laughs> you know yeah. by our loved ones into the realm of the active so that that knowledge can actually become real and be be of use you know one of the things that I, I preached about recently was just the way that that knowledge can be an obstacle because we put up walls we tell ourselves we already know but the beautiful thing is the way that God can turn those walls into gateways. And it's not that the knowledge is bad. It's that the knowledge needs to be in its proper place. And once we have these, these new heart orientations, all the knowledge that made it hard for us suddenly becomes valuable. And so I think for a person who studied a great deal, who has a lot of that head knowledge, but struggles, the reality is, as you live your faith and as you practice your faith, that knowledge, it's not, you know, an albatross around your neck. It's actually really valuable to you and to others around you. But it becomes valuable as you put it to use and as you you live that faith. And so that's, I think, the, the key right, is that we don't want to be so specialized that, you know, we're only concerned with the knowledge and not the practice. We've got to have both in order for that knowledge to actually kick in. Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.